Listen, I think some congratulations are in order to you and your beloved NC State Wolfpack for taking home the cheerleading championship at the UCA Nationals. Damn straight. Nine-time national champions. Yes, that's very exciting for them. Uh, Now, there are a lot of different categories that made learning about cheerleading very difficult to understand. So this appeared to be in some kind of co-ed... No, I'm sorry, it's not co-ed. Girls for Group Stunt, which is the category that NC State won the national championship in. They also came in third. So they had like two teams, apparently, that were competing against each other, which seems like probably an awkward bus ride home. <laughs> but they uh, sandwiched, like sandwiched in between them and second was Oklahoma. But they got the national championship. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. NC State, great at winning national championships in you know some more obscure competitions bass fishing we're really good at that and apparently cheer as well yeah they brought home uh, two different ones they did they won a co-ed championship as well i think i'm not sure i i just know they've won multiple over the course of the last several years and you know good for them man uh i'm glad that you found this on your regular uh, college cheerleader google search that you were doing yeah that's no that's not quite how i got it but i just want to be very clear about that to the listeners that's not sure uh, that's not how that came up but how it actually did come up is initially i saw a part of this uca championship that they have in orlando that just took place was the mascot dance competition mm. which i did not know about and now have learned a ton about and i'm very excited <laughs> to share with you so in terms of mascots and their dancing abilities it appears that they have you know the mascot they enter not every mascot in the country enters this but a lot of them did they seem to have props that they use so there's like dancing but also like a little bit of humor you know get the people excited who would you who would you mark down as like a mascot that you just think is pretty good at dancing? Cut cutting a rug. Oh, interesting. You know, I think that the the Oregon duck has got to be up there, mm. probably. Yeah, I I agree with you. He did not actually enter this competition, oh. which was a little surprising because I, having watched him, he is like performance art. He would have automatically yeah. been at the top of my list. Yeah, but. I guess he was busy, probably preparing for the Iowa caucus. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I'm thinking through my mascots. I mean, Bucky the Badger is one of my favorite mascots, and and I mm-hmm. think he's got to be a crowd favorite. So I don't know if he does these. He was he was in there. He finished in ninth overall. Okay, so you know, okay. top ten finish for him, pretty good. My my final guess at this, um, I'm gonna go with, you know, let's get weird. Let's go with Otto the Orange. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he just like starts rolling around yeah i just kind of want to wins over be true it's probably not but i would love for it to be yeah so the winning the winning mascot was obi the tiger from auburn okay apparently he has won this competition many times he narrowly beat out Smokey the dog from the university of tennessee and uh some other some other people that were involved uh cindy bearcat from cincinnati had a third place finish hook'em 
the Texas yeah. guy. Not not the real live Bevo. Not the <laughs> that would be really good. <laughs> put him on stage. Let and just Bevo hit the I'm... electric slide. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, the person in the costume and then Liberty's mascot apparently Sparky. I didn't know that they allowed the dancing at yeah. Liberty, but mm. apparently they do, and they came in fifth place. Wow. I uh, well, you know what? I'm I'm glad first of all that none of those were like live people mascots those are the worst first of all so like you mean like the west virginia mountaineer guy with a mustache yeah big bushy beard yeah Yeah, that guy like if that if that had been first place it's just like a dude in a mountaineer costume or like the leprechaun from notre dame (laughs) like if that person wins (laughs) that's just sad when you could hide your face and wear the full thing like it's it's fine you know i think it's kind of cool being a mascot um, I know for a lot of schools, it's like most schools, I would venture to guess it's a really big honor to be the mascot and, you know, different schools have different traditions in terms of like hiding the identity of the person and stuff. That's, that's cool that they get to go compete and, you know, win some kind of championship that they'll probably remember for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Do you think that they had to like lie to their roommates to be like, yeah, I'm just going to Orlando for this, um, <laughs> golf tournament. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's who like there's got to be. I, see, I think it's probably like Spider-Man, right? Where like there are people in their lives who know who they are that you have to. There's no way in college you have a roommate and you're able to successfully hide being a mascot for like a major <laughs> you, university. You hide the gopher head in your closet. <laughs> <laughs> Just, no, don't go in there. You're like, man, you never go to any of these sporting events with us, but you also talk about being at the sporting events all the time. Where are you? <laughs> On the court, baby. I am the gopher. The, my main takeaway reading about this was I was once again getting excited about NCAA football and mascot mode, mm. which is just the all-time greatest thing and has to be in the new game whenever it comes out this summer. Yeah, you got to have it. Absolutely. And I think... You know, I, I always would want to build a team with multiple mascots, you know, mm. like have a I draft. Like, yeah. Like, I like the idea of playing with an entire team of the, the UCF night, but it'd be cool if I could think about like, you know, I want Otto the orange at D tackle. I want him clogging up the middle. <laughs> I want, you know, there's, there's different, I think different mascots are better suited for different positions. So I would like to see, I I know there's no way they're going to spend more time and energy on that, but they should, that should be the focus. Don't worry about figuring out NIL in the game. Just (laughs) figure out how I can draft mascots for my team. I mean, you got to put the Nittany lion in at slot receiver. Easily. You know, he doesn't have the much, as much bulk as everybody else does. That's right. That's right. I was thinking about this, you know, you brought up the game. I was thinking about those of us who have played that game throughout our lives know that the greatest joy is starting a dynasty with, you know, some underachieving low level Mm -hmm. program. Mm -hmm. Have you put any thought into who you want to start with? You know, I actually saw this on Twitter. There was a conversation where somebody was like boasting about how great they were because they start with some terrible team in the way that you've just described and it occurred to me for many years my go-to starting team was eastern michigan Mm. but i feel like they're too good now yeah like they're making bowl games routinely they got the whole cement 
thing at the beginning you know yeah, so yeah, like yeah. i feel like they're too good so yeah i don't know what probably one of the new mexico like new mexico regular not new mexico state yeah because jerry kill has those those guys yeah totally too good too so i mean right now right you think about like as things currently stand some of the worst teams like kent state was probably the worst team in college football this year they went one and eleven you've got louisiana monroe was real bad akron always always a good choice i used to mm-hmm. love starting with akron ecu is bad right now but that feels like probably an easy one to fix mm-hmm. like you know i i think one of the big challenges was always if you if you took over vanderbilt because they're bad but they're in a really good conference so there wasn't like as quick a path but then you have more talent available to you because it doesn't really yeah factor in the academic stuff as well as real life does hopefully they fix that i used to love i went to a school that obviously was not in the game elon not a uh fbs program so i used to use the like team builder feature to build elon and create elon and put them in like you know conference usa or the sun belt or something and uh try to build them there i'll probably end up doing something like that at some point but yeah i think akron Akron's a good one. Can state the one of those two is probably who might go to. I might start with Navy. I don't know if that is too high up, but we'll have to see what their rankings are. I either want to be Navy and demand that we stay in triple option and try That's to win a national championship in triple option, or immediately go to the air raid and just try to score ninety points a game. I can't decide which is funny. Yeah. I think the first one would be more challenging. So that's my, I think that's where I would land. Yeah. I was going to ask if you, if you stay true to that, if, if like you take a service academy, do you keep them in the triple option or do you change it up and instantly make them better? <laughs> try to, try to go in the transfer portal and just like, no one's leaving, no one's joining. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons Podcast. This is Michael McGraw here with Michael Shutt on Tuesday, January 16th. And the GOAT, Nicholas Saban, has retired from college football. It was one of those things where it is both surprising and not surprising. Like, he's 76. He's been around for a while, and most people have been speculating that he might walk away but at the same time, like when I heard the news, you, you actually heard it right before me and texted me. And that was how I got the info. I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. I mean, like you said, big picture wise, I think it makes sense, right? It just felt like it kind of came without warning. It was, it was pretty quick after the season was over, which makes sense. You know, you don't want to like drag things out. I guess what, what makes it feel weird, but is also the thing that I'm super grateful for is that it wasn't dragged out, right? He didn't you know announced before the season he didn't pull the coach k thing like oh this is my farewell tour you know it didn't it didn't go on and on and on which you know again because of recent cases like somebody like coach k like we are used to that so we feel like we we should have some kind of warning but i'm also glad we didn't do that that would have been insufferable all year but yeah i mean it, it was shocking and i think what what i find most surprising about it is how quickly 
again, partially out of necessity, but how quickly the dominoes have fallen since then. Yeah, I I talked to my uncle about this. I have, as you know, a number of family members who are big Alabama fans or from Alabama, the state originally. And he brought up a good point, which was he had a inkling that something was going on when Kevin Steele, the defensive coordinator, retired because that's something that Saban, you know, they're very close and it, Steele came back because Saban asked him to. And it seemed very odd for him to just step down after a year. And yeah. it seems like something Saban would not have asked him to do. So it was like a weird thing. So it seemed like there was something percolating there at that point. But to your point, yeah, the dominoes fell really quickly. I mean, immediately everybody turned their attention to Dan Lanning at Oregon. He came out and turned it into an amazing recruiting video right out of the <laughs> gate. Never stop recruiting. Good job for him. Uh, Mike Norvell at Florida State immediately turned that into a big contract extension. So good job for him. Not necessarily having to do anything, just having his name be uttered in the same list got him more money and then they immediately settle in on Kalen DeBoer which I think is a good hire for them I mean this is a guy who has won literally everywhere he has been has one of the best coaching records of all time just by percentage and it is a little bit of an awkward fit I think in terms of like his regional ties but I think it's a really good hire for Alabama it's a little bit out of their comfort zone it's not somebody who is in the Nick Saban coaching tree but you know you just go out you get the best coach you possibly can and he's been able to be successful at Washington which has less resources than Alabama does so I think uh, I think they'll be in good shape long term if Alabama fans give him a chance if you're Alabama you have to know that this next coach whoever it was going to be obviously we know now uh, who it is but just at the set out who do you think can live up to Nick Saban's legacy? And the answer to that question is pretty easy. It's nobody, right? There's not a single person that you were going to bring in who was going to immediately step into those shoes and adequately fill them, at least probably from the perspective of most fans. So it was identifying somebody that, that has, a, has a history of winning, for sure, but somebody who's shown an ability to win sort of in this new landscape of hitting the transfer portal, the way that college football offenses have changed with RPO and kind of mix of some air raid stuff, but also um, some innovative kind of offensive design. And I think the big news there was that Kalen DeBoer is bringing Ryan Grubb with him as offensive coordinator who's been with him all the way through, who apparently, according to him, wanted the Washington job. He wanted to stay and, and keep some continuity there. Um, but Washington went a different direction. We can touch on that in a second. But, you know, the fact that he's coming with DeBoer to Alabama, I think is huge. And I just think there's got to be some excitement there. If you're an Alabama player, you're looking at a team that was just in the national championship game. Like you said, a guy who's won at every level. There's nothing there but excitement. And then, you know, they just in the, in the last 24 hours hired their defensive coordinator. They pulled Kane Womack from South Alabama. He's been the head coach there. He had been the defensive coordinator in Indiana when when DeBoer was there. So there's some familiarity there. Um, and I think that's going to be the big thing, right? Can can Kalen DeBoer run a program that can compete on the defensive side of things uh, in the SEC, you know, at the level that Alabama is used to having? Because that hasn't really been his MO. 
And so there's there's some adaptability that has to be there. But when you have a coach that's one at different levels, that tells me he's able to adapt. And and he's going to figure out a way. And look, it's still Alabama. And Nick Saban's still going to be involved in that program. I saw the headline the other day that one of DeBoer's conditions when he took the job is he wanted Nick Saban to have 100% access to the program. You know, he wants, of course you want him around. Like he's Nick Saban. I mean, Saban. I kind of feel like you have to say that, right? Like, what are you going to sure. be like? I want, I want the key card on my desk by Friday. <laughs> Get him out. <laughs> but, sure. But he didn't have to say anything, right? And he wanted to make it clear. And that part of that's for fans, right? Um, look, it, it's clear based on the contracts that, like you said, Lanning and Norvell probably were, some of the first calls especially norvell like that contract the timing of that uh he's getting paid a lot i, I don't know where florida state's finding that money because all i've been hearing from them is is that, you know there's no money in the acc so they've been unable to make enough money to compete but well when you're when you're facing down the looming possibility of paying 500 million dollars to get exited out of the conference you know what's 10 million dollars yeah. it's yeah, not right. that big a deal but I love this hire. You know, it, it's funny. I think we talked about this like what two or three years ago. This would if this had happened, we'd be saying Dabo's gone. Now it's like his name didn't even come up. Yeah, seemingly his name came up among Alabama fans. They were like active protests on campus from people who were like <laughs> anyone but Dabo, which is just. I mean, honestly, that was my biggest takeaway. We, well, we won't know if DeBoer is successful for a couple of years, and won't know how everything else shakes out but it is still jarring to see Dabo Swinney who is one of the most respected coaches in the game or at least was a national championship coach who fans would have easily like you said two years ago jumped on the possibility of having that succession plan locked down now just be like hated (laughs) preemptively from fans just because of his either his righteousness or his inability to use the transfer portal or NIL stuff to his advantage. And it's uh, just, I mean, it's kind of amazing how far he's fallen. And, you know, I think that's, I, I approached it kind of from a UVA perspective because people have been chirping at Tony Bennett and saying that he's not somebody who is tailor-made for this new era. But honestly, like, Dabo Swinney is really the one like he's the one who is not cut out for this specific new era at Clemson and I think there's room for people to try new things but it's if you're going to be a successful high level program at that echelon and you want to be considered that and Clemson fans absolutely think that they are and should be Mm -hmm. put in the same sentence as Alabama and Georgia all the time which is its own funny thing but yeah I mean it's it's so funny that his name was just completely just not even considered, really. Yeah, I mean, again, if you had told us that a few years ago, I don't think either of us would believe it. It seemed like a foregone conclusion that he was going to be the heir apparent, just based on, you know, obviously his ties and, and the success that he had had up until the last few years where, you know, it feels like programs like, you know, think in the early years of the playoff, Georgia wasn't really as much of a player and Clemson was and Georgia kind of pushed Clemson out of there programs like Michigan now like are are in that and there's not really room now maybe in a 12 team playoff maybe Dabo can bring them back I, like I just I don't know I don't have a ton of confidence in that and and it is just it's wild to to see and I know there's UVA fans who probably would have loved to live in an alternate universe where 
Dabo took this job and Tony Elliott was gone or something like that, but that's not going to happen, obviously. And But, you know, I think, look, when you're replacing a legend, right, and we've seen this in college basketball and college football over the last several years, Villanova having to replace Jay Wright, uh, Carolina and Duke both having to replace, you know, their coaches. It's hard, but if you're, if you have a plan, if there's somebody that you know you want, if there's a, a, a proven a candidate with a proven track record. Now, all those examples I just gave in college basketball, they had somebody on staff that they wanted, that they had in position. And Alabama didn't really have that. And and you kind of alluded to this. I mean, there's a lot of guys on the coaching tree who are now out and about other places, and they they chose not to bring those guys back. Now, who knows if they tried and and they didn't want to, right? So we talked off air about Steve Sarkeesian. I, I think it would be a lateral move for him at this point. I, I wouldn't have done it. You know, maybe Lane Kiffin. I could see that, um, why he would have possibly wanted this job. But it'll be interesting to see how Kalen DeBoer does and how this translates, how his system and the way that he plays and the way that he coaches and recruits, how that translates over to SEC football. One thing that occurs to me, people have always dunked on Coach K for his goodbye tour and whatever. But the benefit of that is that it gives your fans time to process what's going to happen and kind of get excited about it. And I think there are a lot of Alabama fans that were in full scale freak out mode about Saban leaving and this hire. And maybe there's like a shorter fuse of like, what's going to happen now that this legend is gone. And I feel like part of it is just results oriented, but like John Shire coming in at Duke has been successful with the fans partially because they had more time to process. Okay. This guy is going to retire. Whereas maybe you know, people are like scrambling for a replacement really quickly. And now it's like, I don't know if this isn't necessarily the guy we wanted. So maybe there is like a benefit for fans and the next coach if there is a long term goodbye. But we'll see. Oh, I for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I understand why people do it. And I think that it can be the right thing to do. I think it can also be annoying. <laughs> yeah, look, can <laughs> like, you imagine Nick Saban like walking at halftime, you know, at Neyland Stadium or something like <laughs> accepting a, a bottle of Tennessee whiskey. There's just you know, fans <laughs> booing him mercilessly. Like it's Jerry Krause's widow. Like it's just it would have been awful. Yeah, it also. I mean, that's the thing is like it doesn't fit his personality either, which I think is is fair. You know, the the thing that I I'm interested in, I guess, and and I don't know how far we want to get into this, but if you follow the dominoes, so Kalen DeBoer leaves Washington and comes to Alabama. Washington moves very quickly mm-hmm. to hire Jed Fish from Arizona, which is, I think, a great hire for them. Like nothing else considered, I think that is is a really good hire. The challenge, and I saw some stuff online about this. People sort of complaining, and I kind of see it as a little bit whiny, but worried about the future of programs like Arizona, who is not an elite football team, elite football program over the course of their history, but was well positioned to be, I mean, maybe one of the best teams in the Big 12 next year with the way that they ended this season. But, you know, it seems at least possible, if not a foregone conclusion, that Jeff Fish is probably going to take Noah Fafita, their quarterback, who led that kind of streak at the end of the season and their receiver uh mcmillan who's one of the best receivers in the country they're probably going to go with them to washington so it's that thing that we keep coming back to coach movement and player movement coaches can move freely 
is this a problem that players can just follow them if they want to? Like, is that something that is concerning to you in terms of the the bigger college football landscape? I thought about that, and it does feel difficult in the moment. But I would say most people, when they're committing to play in the college level, are committing to play for a specific coach. They're really not committing to play because, wow, the campus is beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> or even, like, except for the upper echelons, like, wow, I'm really going to get this NIL deal at the local you know footlocker or whatever you know like they're they're doing it because a coach has sold them on something charismatically on a plan on how they're going to be used how they're going to get trained to go to the next level what the resources are so it makes sense if this quarterback who has seen his stock go from freshman no one to leading a team to a 10-win season inexplicably one of the best seasons that arizona's had in years their coach leaves, he should be able to leave too. And yeah. I get why Arizona fans are upset. It is disappointing to see that. It is disappointing to get excited about a player and then have them follow their coach. But yeah, I mean, that is why a lot of people play sports is, you know, they, they really fall in love with a coach or their style or something like that. So I don't see that as much of a, as a problem. I've seen some people propose you can't follow a coach to a new school. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, that, then you're just punishing people and putting them in suboptimal situations. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think it is, yeah, like it feels gross to me to suggest that we should just be able to lock kids in on a, on a situation where when coaches can leave. That, that feels like we're backtracking. We're going back to the thing that so many people had a problem with that led to some of these relaxed transfer rules is the idea that you're telling a kid, hey, oh, yeah, your coach, he can, he can leave. He can go wherever he wants, but you you have to stay here. And, you know, Noah Fafita in, in particular, they talked about his family was talking about loyalty and the fact that, like, Jed Fish was the only, so he was the only quarterback they offered in that class. He didn't have a ton of offers, even though he had a push late from some other Pac-12 programs. They liked that Jed Fish believed in him. And that, that means stuff, something to a family. That means something to a kid, right? And then you see the flip side of that with Will Rogers, right, former Mississippi State quarterback who had transferred to Washington. And as soon as DeBauer, DeBauer got hired uh, at Alabama, we both kind of said, like, oh, well, he's going to be back in the back in the portal, and there he is. And who knows where he could end up now. But it's great that he has that chance because, like, you'd hate to have this kid get stuck at a program. Again, you commit because of the coach. He committed because of what was there, and now that's gone, and he has a chance to sort of reevaluate who knows where he ends up? Maybe he follows him to Alabama and thinks he can beat out Jalen Milrow. I wouldn't hey, good advise luck with that. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't advise that. Um, but you know, who knows? Kind of where he decides. Maybe he, if Fafita is going to go to Washington, maybe Will Rogers likes the guy that Arizona ends up hiring and goes like, I don't know. It it does kind of suck though, right? Like now he's sort of caught in the wind, and there's not a super clear option except for maybe like a Michigan right they're going to be replacing JJ McCarthy but they've got Alex Orgy who they really like and they've got a a Jaden Davis the you know one of the best quarterbacks in the country coming in so you know it's just I I think I understand the frustration as you know we're fans of, of two programs that are not elite level programs and can lose guys after they have really good years or after a coach gets hired or something like that but I don't think the answer is saying, nope, you have to stay here. You cannot leave. 
it just feels like you're like locking them in um handcuffing them to your program they don't want to be there like let kids go where they want to go where they need to go and and pursue their opportunities one other uh main coaching possible dominoes that could fall is of course jim harbaugh national championship coach from michigan who is finishing up his interview with the los angeles chargers and possibly other organizations it seems like uh, the raiders might be involved that'll be an interesting thing to watch i am of the opinion that i think harbaugh will leave michigan this is a perfect time for him to do so but reports out this morning from dan wetzel of yahoo sports saying that he does have a contract extension in place at michigan that has some interesting language in it that is maybe worth talking about forces close to the situation say that harbaugh is quote seeking language that would grant him immunity from termination from any finding or sanction that could arise from multiple current ncaa investigations that's kind of cool i wish i could put that in my (laughs) can't fire me I love that. Just like, I don't know, man, the audacity, right? Like just, just the whole, like, I, I kind of love Harbaugh's. I don't even know if it's a shtick, but it comes off as a shtick. Like it is. I promise you it is not. a shtick. <laughs> this is the most authentic coach we have. And he is, <laughs> he is exactly as depicted, which is why I think I love it. Like, I think it's this like defiant in the face of, like he clearly did something wrong. I don't think you ask for immunity unless <laughs> you're worried that there's going to be something coming out from these investigations that's not going to look so good for you. But like he's a fantastic coach. He's a goofball. I don't know, man. I can't think of a better way to put that. I kind of love it. I I'm not totally sold that he's going to leave Michigan. I mean, if it weren't for the investigations and that stuff going on, I think I would definitely give him more of a chance of staying at Michigan. Um, with that stuff, I think it makes sense to jump ship. If I'm him, the only like, I think the Chargers is probably, that's probably the only job that really looks appealing. If you're a guy like Harbaugh, where you think, you know, there's definitely talent there. They've underachieved. You have a young quarterback who's considered to be one of the best ones, you know, at one point seemed one of the most promising quarterbacks in the NFL. You know, his reputation has maybe taken a little bit of a hit, but I, I just, to me, that seems, that seems like the obvious one to go for um, if I'm, if I'm Harbaugh. Yeah. I mean, maybe you like the Raiders and their new stadium or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what his, like, I don't know what he's interested in. I mean, the thing that strikes me about him is that he's interested in winning a Super Bowl because he's tired of his brother having a Super Bowl ring and he doesn't have mm-hmm. one. And it just, yeah makes Thanksgiving dinner every year intolerable for him. Like that's the that's the vibe I get from him. So yeah. regardless, he just wants to be back in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. And and then I I but you know, it's kind of like I look at the rate like I'm just going through the the I know we we don't our focus is not NFL, but I'm thinking through the open jobs in the NFL and like you get the Raiders where you have some of their star players have said if they don't hire Antonio Pierce, they want to trade. So like that doesn't seem like a great spot to go into. The Patriots are, you know, I mean, they they got their guy. But, like, even early on, I didn't think that looked appealing. You know, Atlanta, you don't have a quarterback there. Washington, now, now Carolina I Panthers. See, I could see Washington where you have the option to draft a quarterback. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. and maybe he sees that as an appealing thing. The Panthers, I mean, maybe because there's a young court. If, if he's a Bryce Young believer, then I could see it there. But like to me, it's you have your guy in L.A. Like you to look at that job. And if they want you like you got Justin Herbert there, there are. I'm estimating because I'm not going to count in my head, but there's probably 25 at least NFL teams that would trade that would take Justin Herbert in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. 100%. So like, I think you just have to take that. If, if that's an option for him, go. You're leaving Michigan in good hands. They're going to just promote Sharon Moore. It's a, it is a great time. Just just you got your national championship. Go to the NFL. Go get a Super Bowl because your brother's about to probably get his second one. So you're going to have to start playing catch up here. Yeah, that's another one where Moore is almost certainly if if he were to leave, going to get the the promotion oh, yeah. and the players love him. And I, I think that's just an obvious promotion for them. It would keep continuity. It would also, you know, he proved he could do it this year and filling in for Harbaugh during the suspension. But that's another one like everyone would have said Brian Kelly was going to come to Michigan and for many years that was you know just kind of rumoring around less miles also a possibility you know back in the day when he was coaching so it, it's uh worked out for michigan worked out not too bad for them yeah I'm, don't get me wrong i'm sure brian kelly would be interested if it popped open um i have to work would... on his accent again though <laughs> yeah. fix that that is one of the funny things we were talking about Alabama earlier. You've got now like Alabama and LSU of Kalen DeBoer and Brian Kelly as their coach. Like you have the most, <laughs> the least SEC type coaches at those programs, which is just interesting. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to, I, I'm very curious to see where Harbaugh is going to go. And I think, I think the Chargers seem like the most likely outcome here. So in that case, can't wait to see what Sharon Moore does at Michigan. I think like they'd be stupid to do anything else. You keep your recruits like that. You just you have to do that. I just I just want to float back real quick though before we move on to yeah. say imagine that you know you're we're both already married, so we just have to imagine this part. But imagine you uh, possibly did some things in a relationship and wanted to keep it hidden, and you on your wedding day come out you know you manage to make it through all that you get to your wedding day and on your wedding day you proclaim it couldn't have gone better it went exactly how we wanted it to go off the field issues we're innocent and we stood strong and tall because we knew we were innocent and then in the uh what do you call that thing the prenup in the prenup <laughs> you write in something that says hey if you discover any of the things that come <laughs> out about what happened before i don't get in trouble just FYI, can't use it against me. Uh, most people would probably look at that and be like, "Yeah, that's kind of suspicious." I'm not signing this, <laughs> right? That's uh, hmm. might have some yeah. questions about that. But Michigan, on the other hand, just won a national championship, so probably glad to sign it. That's right. Yeah, it is. It is a wild thing, but I love it. I'm all for it. Let's talk about basketball for a brief moment here. UVA. Continues to lose on the road. Continues to be great at home. This is my proposal, is that UVA just play home games. Mm. If they played home games only, they would be a top, like they have seventh, they're ranked seventh in offensive efficiency at home. And then 330 something on the road, which is just an insane back and forth. But it got me thinking about our conference. And now that we're 
five, six games into most people's schedule. What has surprised you? What is like the things that have jumped out at you? And uh, which teams are doing better and worse than expected? Let's go ahead and start there because you already kind of kind of started with UVA. I, UVA is worse than expected for me. I, not that I expected them to be top of the you know ACC here. And look, I I get it. The stats are much better at home. Let's look at who they're playing at home though. Right. I mean, it's I think it's a little more complicated. I mean, they had Texas A&M at home and and Syracuse at home. Those were kind of the only two opponents they've had at home that are legit college basketball teams. <laughs> and so and so, you know, the, the whenever Texas A&M was impressive, uh, the Syracuse went fairly impressive, although Syracuse just got blasted by Carolina. But yeah, when you're looking at your last six games. You're two and four, and those four are all double digit losses um, on the road. It's it's not great, but again, like consider the opponents. Right outside of the Notre Dame loss, they're losing to good teams. So Virginia falls in this category of teams that I don't think are doing as well as I would expect. But I also don't. I still don't know what you are. I I, I don't. I can't tell because I don't think they're terrible. I mean. The, the Notre Dame loss, again, is the outlier here. But I don't think this is like a bad team. I just don't think they're – and we've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't think we need to beat this dead horse. But I just don't think that they have enough talent, especially offensively, to be really good. They could be a tournament team still. I don't think that they're like a Sweet 16-type team. I think this is a team that their ceiling probably is like second round of the NCAA tournament. But I think to this point, they haven't quite looked like that. So that's why I put them in the category of worse than expected. Yeah, they definitely are. Although I would say they're not as the offensive output is definitely worse. And Mm -hmm. some of their defensive breakdowns have been worse. But I wouldn't say that they're that surprising. I mean, I think they're surprising to a lot of UVA fans who just thought that roadie and everybody would come in and immediately we would just run it back and be great. But like, realistically 80 percent of their points from last year were gone so like yes it is a little surprising i definitely said preseason that i thought they were going to make the tournament right now they have some work to do in order to get to that point but it's not as shocking to me as some of these other teams miami's a little bit surprising they've turned it around um having just one at virginia tech that was a big win for them but they were struggling a little bit in fairness to them they've been dealing with some injuries but this was a team that was a final four team last year, had most people back, got major transfers from Florida State and, you know, in, in the 50s now and Ken Palm. So that like for me, that stood out a little bit. Maybe they're finally managing to put that together. Other team that's a little surprising is Pitt. I mean, they're one and four in the conference to start. This was a team that a lot of people thought could contend to be kind of one of those dark horse teams at the beginning of the ACC calendar. And it has not worked for them so far this year. Got absolutely blown out by Duke. Like, just completely destroyed at home by Duke. So, yeah, that, that, those are the kind of the two that stand out to me. Florida State's been playing really well. I'm still not convinced that they're a great team. They've had kind of an easy opening schedule to start at 4-1 in the conference. Uh, NC State's playing pretty well, 4-1. Uh, and Wake Forest, I mean, I, some people thought that they were going to be decent i was a little bit lower on them i know when we had our preview at the beginning they were my underachiever uh, expectation 
team, but can't argue with the results that they've gotten, particularly at home so far at four and one. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'll get into some of the teams that you mentioned that I feel similarly about, but I just encourage everyone at some point today, right? Cause it's going to change uh, tonight, but some point today, just pull up the ACC standings because this is how God intended the top four teams are the North Carolina teams. And that's the way that it should be. This is, you know, I'm tired of seeing Louisville. And I mean, recently that hasn't been the case, but, you know, <laughs> Florida State and Miami and teams like that at the top of the ACC. This is the way that it should be. And I love it. Now, you talked about Wake Forest. What's hard is, and I think all of these teams are hard to evaluate because I just think the, the league is only so-so right now. These teams, there aren't a lot of good teams. So when you take a look at Wake Forest and, and they've got some some decent wins, I mean, they beat Florida. If you look at non-conference, they beat Rutgers in conference. They're sitting at four and one with wins against Virginia Tech, Boston College, Miami, and UVA. And, and right now, like some of those wins aren't as impressive as they might seem or or in past years they would have been you know and they they lost to florida state now that florida state team i think is surprising and i i think they were on my list of teams that i expected to be better than people thought they would be you know they've won four in a row now and yeah it's been a little bit of a weaker part of the schedule but they beat wake forest right so we're talking about wake as like potentially a pretty good team that is still putting some things together because they've had some injuries but you know, Florida State was able to beat them. Florida State was able to beat a Virginia Tech team that has had some success recently in terms of playing at least close games with Miami and Florida State and, and beating a Clemson team that started off hot, right? I mean, this Clemson team, everybody was looking at early on and thinking, like, they were ranked. They were looking really good. And then they lost three in a row to Miami, Carolina, and Virginia Tech. Now, I don't think there's any shame in losing any one of those games. But when you lose all three, now it puts you in a tough spot. And so I think there's this collection of teams sort of in the middle of the pack right now that are hard to read, you know, that, that second tier. And I don't know where NC State even fits in that. I, look, Carolina and Duke are obviously the top two teams in the conference. That's not changing. You know, I, I think it's going to be that way. We saw it from the beginning. It's just going to be that way wire to wire. Where they finish, which one's one, which one's two, you know, we'll see. NC State has a really good chance to be in that next level, whether they're going to be that third team or whether they're going to be, you know, somewhere four to five, four, six, maybe. But I think they have a really good chance to be right there. And when they're on, they look really good. I mean, this NC State team, I, I'm excited about them, but just objectively, they have the potential uh, to be very good. And you look at their losses this season, they lost to BYU, Ole Miss, Tennessee. Those are all really good teams and then lost to Carolina in a game that you know was competitive for a while but Carolina pulled away at the end I mean I think you have a huge telling game for for NC State tonight against Wake Forest here on the 16th Tuesday night that's going to be big right like that that'll sort of give us a sense of what to expect from that next level on the ACC but yeah it's it's a weird it's it's hard to tell right now you know I, I agree with you I don't think Florida State stays up there uh and i think Pitt probably rises up the standings a little bit those are the two that i am imagining i'm seeing kind of moving the most as we go through the rest of the schedule yeah looking at the bracket matrix right now it's 
kind of up in the air of how many teams the ACC is going to get. I mean, in terms of what you feel confident about, Duke, UNC, and Clemson are really the only three that are total locks. Miami's in there at like an 11 seed right now. And you got a bunch of bubble teams. Wake Forest is in consideration, Virginia Tech, Virginia. It's going to be tough for NC State. I mean, I think they're going to have to ride that bubble unless they just really get hot and win a whole bunch of games because like you said the ACC itself winning those games is not as impressive to some people because there are so many squishy teams in the middle you're unless you're beating Duke and North Carolina you're not having those opportunities to get high quality wins at this point in the conference I will say it takes a little bit of the sting out of Virginia's road problems having seen so many teams in the last week lose major games uh, in upset fashion. Like five of the top six teams in the country lost to unranked teams this past week. So I think that overall, like we always talk about parity at the college level, and there are some teams and certain echelons that are better than others, but there really are, from my eye, no great teams. Like there really aren't. Even Purdue, Kansas, Houston has now lost two in a row. These are the teams that I think are really good. These are teams that are beatable. They're beatable by unranked teams on any given weekend, uh, particularly on the road. And a, a lot of teams are struggling on the road right now. It's not just Virginia. I know that doesn't make Virginia fans feel better about how things are going, but it it is not a unique problem to have. Absolutely. And I think this is where we're seeing the transfer portal have a different impact on basketball than it has on football, right? Football, individual talent doesn't move the needle quite as much as it does in basketball. Basketball, obviously, you you have fewer players and individual can impact things a little bit more. And the, the reality is the transfer portal has distributed talent a little bit more evenly across the country. That's where I think the parody is coming from, right? Like you have guys who play for, you know, some different teams that at one point were power five prospects or maybe top 50 prospects. Like they were, there's some guy. I think about um, Andre Curbelo, the former Illinois guard who's down at like Southern Miss now, right? Like sometimes you turn on these games and it's like, Oh, that's where that guy is and like he's putting up 20 a night and you know it just it changes everything when you kind of think about some of those some of those games against unranked teams if you're a top five team or or whatever and it allows coaches i think to build more talented rosters uh more immediately and again the talent is just more distributed and i think that's where we see some of this some of this parity coming from and uh, overall i think it's a good thing i think it makes things a little bit more interesting you know i like the idea that this could be another year and it feels like we've had a few of these in the last couple of years but another year where we go into the NCAA tournament with no idea of what could happen right like look crazy stuff always happens in the tournament but a lot of times if you look in the last 20 years there's been years where it's like yeah some crazy stuff is going to happen but kansas is still going to be there or mm-hmm. whatever Right. Versus this feels like a year where I'm not I don't think like you said, I don't think there is a great team that's just going to be safe. Now, there could be by March teams develop over the course of the year. So some of these teams could get a lot better over the course of the next two months. But right now, it's hard to tell. And, and that rings true within the ACC as well. I think you get to the ACC tournament. and Who knows? You know, I, I, I just don't know what to expect. Yeah, it feels weird that now the number one team in the country, UConn, has been kind of sneaking under people's radars weirdly like they won the championship last year are now number one they've been beating teams up 
and it's kind of like I just like forget about them compared to Purdue and Kansas and Tennessee. I don't know. Maybe that's just a me problem, but I feel like people are just not paying attention to UConn in the way that they are some of these other schools. Well, and they also like UConn hasn't. They're not in a they, real conference, so right. Well, yeah, and <laughs> they haven't. They haven't beaten like a good team, you know. Versus like your Purdue and Arizona and Kansas have beaten really good teams this year already. So. Yes, they all have like bad losses, but those are some of the teams like Purdue especially has shown an ability to win big games, which is where I think that they they fall in that like they're still what I think is the best team in the country. Are they like head and shoulders above everyone else? No, but I think they're the best team. I again, I still think you get later in the year and on a run through the tournament, you know, Kentucky could get hot. Rob Dillingham could score 30 a game in the tournament and like we're having a totally different conversation or TCU clearly like they took Kansas to the wire and and, um, Houston. That's right. They beat Houston. So you just have these teams that are capable of of beating other really good teams. And and I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's honestly like I was just thinking about this the other day. I had a hard time getting into college basketball this year. I haven't really been like as plugged into it as I have been in the past. But as I've started transitioning from football in the last week or two, like and watching more games, I'm like, this is fun because I'm watching, you know, somebody could lose any given night. I'm not just going to turn on Kansas and watch them blow out the rest of the Big 12 like they've been doing for the last couple of decades. Exactly. Yeah, it has been. um it's been it's kind of chaotic. It's chaotic to watch, and uh, I know UVA fans have been frustrated, but again, they're in company here. Like right now, Gonzaga is a bubble team. They've yeah. struggled this year. It's not like Mark Few has not embraced the portal. It's not as if he's you know not familiar with a high fun style of play, and he just didn't get the right people for this year to be a successful high power team meanwhile i texted you this over the weekend but people we we talked last week about you get transfers from non-high schools tennessee gets a big win comeback win over georgia with dalton connect from northern colorado scoring 36 points and is now like the most important player on their team so like there's just a lot of guesswork in this man it's it is complicated and you don't know which players are going to translate from small schools. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think it's just going to be like some schools are going to be at the top every year. It's, you know, Duke is not suddenly going to fall off a cliff, but even North Carolina, they gets whoever they want always miss the tournament, you know? So like it, it happens that these things happen. It's very, very difficult and going to be nearly impossible for teams to not have off years, regardless of who the coach is in this new transfer situation well real quick before you wrap up i you know big game for you guys tomorrow night i'm gonna be in the i'm gonna be in the building for a little uva virginia tech action yeah how you feeling going into that um virginia tech's been playing pretty well i the my main thing this is my parents i was having a conversation with my parents yesterday and they were bringing up the fact that they really hope that Corey Alexander was not doing the game because apparently his niece is marrying Hunter Couture and he hmm. brings it up and during all of the broadcasts. So <laughs> how is his nephew playing well? So just if he is doing the game, there's a hundred percent likelihood that I will be in the arena so that I don't have to hear that. So but, you don't have to listen. 
Yeah, I mean, Virginia Tech is one of those teams that can sometimes give UVA problems because they're able to shoot a lot of threes. Uh, Mike Young's a good coach and has a lot of good actions that give UVA trouble. But at the same time, it's a home game. So a home game, I think UVA will come ready to play. I would be surprised if they it is not a good game that goes down to the wire one way or the other. So I feel cautiously optimistic. But I don't know. You can't feel 100% optimistic based on what you've seen out of the last six games. Not like we're playing the best basketball of our lives. So I mean, look, both teams are two and three in their last five games. So I don't think either team is yeah. like feeling. I was just curious. Like it's uh, this is why this rivalry is always interesting to me, because in football, it feels like both fan bases get real riled up, even though no matter what the situation is, no matter how competitive it's been, whatever basketball, I feel like it gets here and I'm like, oh, Virginia Tech plays UVA tomorrow. But I haven't like, you know, I'm not as plugged into the fan base, but just living in Charlottesville, I just feel like. There's not as much buildup, not as much excitement when it's basketball for this rivalry, which is interesting to me. I'm not criticizing it. It's just interesting. Like, I think I there's w- a pretty decent amount. I think UVA fans have been a little bit muted based on the last few games. That's I think the, I think fans are frustrated with what they've seen. But, you know, it'll be a sellout. I, students will be back. I think it'll be a loud crowd. I'm, ex- I'm excited. Well, I'm going with uh, my wife and her friend. They're both Hokies. I... Currently, I'm thinking I'm just going to wear something neutral. I mm-hmm. normally, a lot of times I'd wear, you know, a tech shirt to support her. But I just, I don't think I have the mental energy to deal with people, you know, talking trash to me about, like, I support tech because it's my wife's alma mater, but I'm not, I'm not passionate enough to defend them. So I'm just kind of like, yeah, all right, man, cool. And I just don't think I can deal with that tomorrow. So I think I'm going to wear like a, I don't know, I'll wear a Panthers shirt or something so you can feel <laughs> sorry for me. I I mean, you can get one of those shirts that say like, I married into this. Yeah. And then people can just be like, oh, yeah, you know, I feel like that's kind of your out to let people know, like, I'm not super into this, you know, just whatever like yeah well like i said we'll be with my wife's friend who's like pretty pregnant so i think people are going to leave us alone anyway and hopefully hopefully fans do that yeah yeah it's not i want to be clear i am a against uva fans accosting pregnant women <laughs> i'm on the record so maybe i'll dress as a pregnant woman oh there you go if you're a pregnant woman and want to write into the show uh, no if you are uh uh <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. His email is Michael. <laughs> no, if you want to write into the show, uh, you can at preferredwalkons at yahoo.com or you can reach us on social media at PWO pod. Uh, 